Yeah, well, we've been in this series called No uh, God, No Fear. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting to hear about some of the different fears that, that some of you have written on the cards, but also to just be doing some research on some phobias. Um, in fact, let me test you on some of these. I think you know most of these, but let me just uh, see. Uh, fill in the blanks on this. Arachnophobia is a fear of spiders, okay? Uh, avio or aerophobia is a fear of a fear of flying. Claustrophobia, a fear of confined yeah, confined spaces. Uh, now, these you might not recognize, but you can just go along with it. Dentophobia, fear of, fear of dentists, right, right. Testophobia, fear of taking tests. Boogieophobia, I, I, I kid you not, it is true, a fear of what? The boogeyman, yeah, yeah, it's a fear of the boogeyman. Uh, pastorophobia, a fear of, okay, that's not a real one. I just made that one up. So just know that. Although, although there is a homiliophobia, you know what that is? Homily, homiliophobia? Fear of sermons. Yeah, a, a fear of sermons is a real one. Um, do you know what walloonophobia is? A fear of walloons. And if you tell us what, what walloons are, maybe we'd fear them, right? Because we don't know what that is. Um, I, I don't either. Um, some of these fears are very rational fears. Some of these fears, though, are very irrational, unfortunately, fears. Um, no joke, I have sinophobia. Now, that's not S-I-N-ophobia. It's C-Y-N-O-phobia. I have sinophobia. Anybody know what that is? Sinophobia? It's a fear of dogs. Yeah, you're, oh, cute little puppies, huh? Right, right? You see this. Here's what I see. Yeah. That's what I see, right? It's not if they're going to bite me. It's when they're going to bite me. It's for me. But one fear that always seems to come up in people's top 5, 6, 10 list is necrophobia, which is a fear of death. Yeah, fear of death, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, in fact, most people don't even like saying the D word, death, and so we, we, we have other words for it and other terms. We say they kicked the bucket, we say they, they flatlined, their candle has gone out, right? Or maybe they, they passed away, they're six feet under, they're pushing daisies, whatever you want to say, we, we just avoid the word death. But as George Bernard Shaw once wrote, the stats on death are quite impressive. One out of one. One out of one, people die. And it's almost like we have this kind of this morbid fascination with death as well. Um, it makes the biggest headlines. Uh, a half to three-fourths of the news, it seems like you watch the news programs. It seems like revolve around death. In fact, I once heard a TV anchorman say, quite honestly, if it bleeds, it leads. That, that, that's often how our society is. We're intrigued by death. And we, and we all know it's coming. At some point, we all have to face it. And so what I want to do today is talk about what happens that moment that we breathe our last breath here on earth and take in the first breath in the hereafter. What takes place at that moment? Or more importantly, are you prepared for what's take place? What takes place 
at that moment. See, we prepare ourselves all the time. I mean, if you're a businessman or you're in the businesswoman or business world, you know that you need to be prepared when you come into some sort of a meeting or some sort of a, a time when you're presenting something. If you're a student, you need to be prepared to take tests, to take finals. If you're a teacher or maybe you're a sales rep, you, you prepare yourself for what you're going to walk into, what you're going to do. Well, have you prepared yourself for when you die? What happens? That's the question I wrote on the top of the outline. What happens when we die? Well, I think the first thing we need to understand is that there will be a, and you can write this down, there will be a resurrection for everyone. There will be a resurrection for everyone. Everyone here in the sanctuary, everyone in the venue, everyone who's listening to this online, everyone in the city of Stockton, everyone across the United States, everyone across the world who has ever lived or whoever will live, you will be resurrected. There will be a resurrection for everyone. Everyone's spirit, everyone's soul will live forever. Forever. Your body is just the envelope. I, I did a funeral service yesterday. And talked about the body that's, lay, that's here, it's just the envelope. The contents are what's inside. So we open up the on, envelope, what's inside, the spirit, is what lives forever. In fact, look at the verse there out of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And it isn't just for Christians that will live forever. Everyone's soul lives forever. Look what it says in Acts 24. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the what? The unjust. Both the just and and the unjust. A resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the wicked. That's important to know because some people have kind of this mistaken um, thought that it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I just return to the ground. That's all I am. I, I'm just, uh, I waste away at the end of my life. Not true. In fact, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. You can look to a number of things around us and see how kind of this afterlife takes effect. Um, Look at nature around you. The cycle of, of life and death, death giving way to life. A seed looks like it's dead. It falls to the ground, but then it germinates and it grows to new life. A caterpillar, kind of an ugly little bug crawling across the ground. It forms and builds a cocoon, which is really like its tomb, and then it will come back out with new life as, as a butterfly. You look to physics. Albert Einstein said matter may change states, but it will not be created or destroyed. First law of thermodynamics, same thing. Change states. Matter changes states, but it's not created or destroyed. In fact, in philosophy, the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who, who is a, if you read any of this stuff, deep, deep thinker, he believed, and it's an interesting thought, not a Christian, but he says, since justice is not applied fully, or, or we don't see justice applied here on earth, it must be applied in the afterlife by a judge who settles all accounts. Just think about it. He, he's on to something there, isn't he? Even though he doesn't come from a Christian worldview. Look at anthropology. Anthropologists who study cultures, tribes, people groups, even who have dissected those, archaeologists and such, they'll find out they have very advanced views, most every society, very advanced views of the afterlife. 
and Scripture, the Bible. What we adhere to here at First Baptist talks about this very openly as well, about being prepared in your life. Look what it says there out of Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on where? Earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven. There's the afterlife where we talked about or Jesus shares with us Think about that. The Apostle Paul picks right up on this. He talks about living with an eternal perspective throughout our life because he knew, as I hope you do as well, this life is just a wisp of time. It's just a snap. It's here today, gone tomorrow. The real life begins after you pass on from here. In comparison, this will be minutely, minutely, minutely short compared to the life that is to come, the afterlife. And so again, let me be very clear on this. Everyone will experience a resurrection after you die. And as we'll discuss in a little bit here, it's the decisions that you make on earth that affect where that resurrection is going to exist. Where are you going to spend eternity? You're all going to spend eternity. It matters where. You get to choose. You get to decide. Death is is not the end. Death is just the beginning. In fact, death isn't the master of the house. Death is just kind of the doorkeeper that opens the door to the whole life that is to come. And so understand that. There will be a resurrection for everyone. Second thing, though, that you can put down in your outline. The Bible says there will now be a judgment. There will be a judgment. We all have an appointment to stand before the throne of God. Everyone, everyone has this appointment. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes, what's the word there? Then comes judgment. So some of you may say, okay, well, what happens at this meeting? What is this meeting for? Good question. Before I answer that, let me say this uh, about this meeting. This is the biggest point of spiritual confusion in the universe. Understand what I'm going to say right here. Don't miss this. I mean, some of the most powerful and some of the most wealthy people in the world miss this all the time. uh, Let me give you a couple examples. Donald Trump uh, told CNN a couple Sundays ago, He said, and he defined it this way, he said, I have a great relationship with God. He said, you know, as they asked him a little bit more about that, he said, how? And he he explained this. He says, I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness. And I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing bad. Okay, you see where he's going on this? His relationship with God is based upon good and bad. Right? Or at least that's in this interview, that's what he, where he took it. Let me give you another one. The, one of the most wealthiest people in all of the world, especially here in the United States, Warren Buffett. When he gave $30 billion, $30 billion to the Bill Gates um, and Melinda Gates Foundation, he said this. He says, there is more than one way to get to heaven, and this is a great way. He said that. Now, there's one of the most powerful men, or desiring to be one of the most powerful men. There's one of the richest men in this world. And it's not just for that. 
Everyone across this world struggles with this. Donald Trump, Warren Buffett, they are not alone in this. In fact, in a recent survey, 71% of Americans think works plays an essential role in salvation and where you spend eternity, your works. Please understand this. This judgment we are talking about here has nothing to do with your good works. Nothing to do with your good works. In fact, here's what often happens. Let me put this uh, scale up here on, on the board because this is how I think a lot of us live our lives. We think, oh, we, we, we sinned. We, we lied. And so the scale tips one way. And so to kind of uh, bring that scale back up and to balance that out, maybe we give some money to the homeless. Okay, are we in balance? All right, we're back in balance. Maybe we, we cheated on a test. And so, oh, I'll go to church, and that'll bring me back up into balance. Or maybe I gossiped. I, I, you know, I, yeah, it was a little farther than I wanted to. It was just so juicy and just so good. And so, and so I shared that. And so I put money in the offering. In fact, I put an extra 10 bucks in the offering plate. Does that make it up? And we, we think it kind of does. Or maybe we lusted this week. And so we called mom for no reason, just to talk. <laughs> or maybe you lusted again this week. And so you called grandma for no reason, just to talk. Right? You kind of weigh it out. Whoa, okay, we get back into balance. Or maybe you went too far with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And so you went to church. Once, twice, three times to kind of make, make up for that. Or maybe you got drunk. And so you decided, well, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible, and, I, and then I'm going to be okay. Or you coveted someone's possessions. And so, and so you prayed, and that, that brings a scale back up. You prayed for the first time in a month. You, you actually prayed. Or maybe you padded your, your sales records. Or, or filled out the IRS or, you know, with your taxes, and you just kind of fudged a little bit on them. And so, and so you bought some Girl Scout cookies from, you know, the girl who came around the neighborhood. <laughs> Two boxes. And you didn't even hide them so that you can eat them later and not share them with the family or the kids. You, you actually shared them with the family. Wow. Brought it back into balance. And we go through this in life where we think, okay, when we die, if my balance is better on the good deeds than it is on the bad deeds, then we get to go to heaven. No, no, and no, and no. You cannot win this game. You cannot win this game. One sin skews everything. You are no longer holy. You, never, you no longer deserve to be in heaven by any sin. You cannot be good enough. I am just thankful that we serve a God who does not judge on this system as well. Amen? Amen. We don't serve that kind of judge because he knows we can't win at this game. It's why he sent his son Jesus Christ, though, into this world to die for us. So that our works don't have to be evaluated on where we spend eternity. In fact, look at the verse there up on the screen. Would you, would you read it with me? Let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. See, when this transaction is made, when you make a personal faith decision in believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is when you then get the all-access pass. You can can access anything at that point, everything. First, uh, let me read from uh, 2 Corinthians. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm 
in Christ. So with what Christ did for us on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection makes us into a good relationship, a right relationship again with God. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Because of what Jesus does for us, by faith when we receive him, then God gives us a seal of ownership. He says, you are mine. You are now a child of God. And he puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing heaven that is to come for us. In fact, the word deposit there in the Greek, the original Greek, it means earnest money. And that earnest money is money that's placed as a down payment that can't be returned. You can't get it back. When you place money on a down payment, it, it's, it's given, it's set, it's, it's in motion, it's in place, it's applied to what's going to come. Another meaning could be um, an engagement ring. I, I mean, I love the imagery that's throughout Scripture of, of, of God being the, the groom and of His church, His people being the bride, the bride of Christ. And so there's this unity that's coming. And so the engagement ring is given, which means he chose you. He chose you. You're not an old maid. He chose you. You just need to choose him back. And then the engagement ring can be put on. That spirit that that is given to you as that deposit. He's coming back to make good on that deposit in your life. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, okay, uh, how do I know I have this deposit? How do I know that I have the engagement ring on? That is the Holy Spirit working in your life. And where there's a root that goes down, there needs to be fruit that comes out in your life. That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit in your life. It changes you. Have you ever met a, a woman who um, just got proposed to? Have you ever met a woman who just got proposed to and said yes, who walks around like, oh, yeah, nah, life, life stinks. Yeah, what's that? That's nothing. Life stinks. No, what do they do? What do they do? They are, they are, they're, they're glowing, right? They glow. They're so thrilled. Now, I've met a lot of guys who walk around after they propose like, oh, my, what did I just do, right? I, I, I met some of those. <laughs> yeah, deer in the headlights, right? But, but no, there, there, there's a sense of, wow, look what's to come. Yes, I, I just got chosen. Likewise, there should be fruit of the Holy Spirit that shows in that way. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, thus you will recognize them by their what? By their fruits. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me say that again. How would you evaluate yourself? You just helped evaluate us as a church. How would you evaluate yourself with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, with gentleness, with faithfulness, with self-control? See, when, when, when we have the Spirit of Jesus in us, we should become more like Jesus every day. And let me just remind you, just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. It doesn't even make you act like a Christian. 
It's the Holy Spirit in you that works inside of you that changes you. Just because you sleep in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, right? Okay, same sort of thing. I had a friend in high school. We, we um, were weightlifting friends, buddies, and we'd go to the gym, and we're on the football team, and we, we would lift. The coach would say, hey, if you want to make, you know, starting team the next year, get in here and start lifting, and so we would do that. And, um, but uh, I, I had four guys that I often worked out with, and we would go to stations, different stations, bent press, squat, and biceps, triceps, whatever it may be. Three of us would lift. One of us just enjoyed being with the rest of us and didn't lift. And you couldn't tell it right away, but over time you could tell he wasn't developing like the rest of us. And the next year in, on the sports field, he didn't develop like the rest of us. Look at what um, Jesus goes on to say after he says, they'll know you by your fruit. Very next verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the work of the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that's who will enter in. Those who do the will. Now, understand this, please. This is how it gets confusing. You don't get to heaven because of what you do. But what you do is proof that you're going to heaven. Okay? The Holy Spirit working in you shows the good of that Holy Spirit, that deposit, that engagement ring that you wear. That's why you do good works, because the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. All right, let me take you back through the first couple things here. We're all going to be resurrected. Before, though, we get to where we're going to go, there's a judgment that happens. That judgment is not based upon your works. That first judgment is based upon do you have Christ in your life or not to pay for your sins. Then let me give you a third thing of where we're headed on this. There will then be a, the word is separation. There will be a separation. The Bible describes a separation in Matthew chapter 25, and it's on the back of your outline, where it says, Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And it's interesting, what follows there are a lot of deeds. Uh, uh, did you feed the hungry? Did you give a cup of cold water? Did you clothe the sick? Did you visit the imprisoned? That is simply showing that the Holy Spirit is in your life. And what happens is one side is ushered into heaven and the other side is ushered into hell. Now, this is not the scope of the message I'm giving here today by any means. Uh, I just want you to think just a bit about heaven and hell. Um, sometime I'd like to do further messages, longer messages on those subjects in particular. But basically heaven, place we can't even fathom what it's going to be like. I mean, we can't even scratch the surface. All I can kind of compare it to is think about a time in your life when you felt the closest to God. Maybe it was here in a church service when you were singing a, a worship song, or maybe it was in a small group or a community group setting that you've been a part of and you finally felt like you had a family. Maybe it was on a retreat. Maybe it was in, in nature. I know some people love to go to the foothills and experience God out in nature. Maybe it was at the ocean or the coastline. But think about a time when you felt closest to God. Now multiply that exponentially. And you cannot even scratch the surface of what heaven will truly, truly be like. I mean, think about a time when you were doing something that God created you to do. Maybe your giftings, your abilities, your skills. And you were just, you were just humming on all cylinders. Maybe it's a time in your life or maybe it's a certain event in your life. 
You, you, just, you just experience God's presence. It won't even begin to compare to that. Because this envelope, this, this body will be exchanged, and you will be in your fullest element ever. You will be filled up like never, ever before. You no longer will have a long, you know how those days, you have some of those days, it's just like, man, I just, I just long for something else, or this is just a rotten, no longer. You will just be filled fully. Which brings the question that some people ask, does that mean what I do here on earth affects my blessings up in heaven? Not just accepting Jesus, because that determines where I go, but the things that I do, does that affect some of my blessing in heaven? Short answer to that is yes. It does. The parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, shows that how we use our gifts that God has given to us affects the blessings that we have in heaven. And so some of you are probably thinking, well, you know, that, that, that sounds kind of weird because I can have a lesser or a greater experience in heaven. I thought it was just going to all be good, like there's no more longing. You're on to something there, but let me just explain it this way. In heaven, you will be full. You will be filled. That may be a, a thimble fill. That, that's fine. You're filled. That, that could be a cup fill. That could be a bathtub full. That could be a dump truck full. I don't know what it will be. But whatever it is, you will be full. You will be filled. And, and, and no comparisons here, all right? You know, I'm not going to say, hold on a second. He got a bathtub full and I only got a cup full. Okay, that, that's not where that's going. It's just what did you do with what God gave you after, after you received Christ into your life? In heaven, we're going to be too busy. We're not going to compare. We're just going to praise. We're just going to be blessed beyond belief. But as great as heaven is and will be, at that time of separation, there will also be people who are cast into hell. Some people say, well, you know, there's, there's no hell. And we've seen movies even, you know, heaven is for real. Folks, hell is for real. And the Bible uses some very descriptive words to talk about hell. Uh, it uses the words outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a, a place where there's utter remorse, and regret, a place where the worm never dies, a place where fire is never quenched. And the worst thing about hell is that it's a place of painful isolation that is in separation from God and all the goodness that is in God forever and forever and forever and forever. That's that's the hardest thing. You are separated from God forever because in God is good and only in God is good. And now you no longer have that at all. Think think of your worst day in your life here. Your your sickest day, a day maybe where you felt the most isolated from a friend or a spouse or, or something relationally or emotionally. Multiply that by a thousand. Again, you're not even touching, scratching the surface of what hell will be day after day after day after day, even not even measured in days, but measured in eternity. A little bit about hell. Now, some of you will probably be thinking in your mind, how, how, how does that even come about that such a God who creates heaven in such an awesome place could, could create a hell that he would throw people into? That he would send them to there forever. Folks, let me say it like this. Um, God does not send people to hell 
we send ourselves to hell. Okay? That, my, my father was a math teacher. He was a high school math teacher and a college professor a math teacher. Sometimes there would be students who would take uh, math tests and, or even finals, and he would hand back the papers to the students, and they'd look at it, and they'd kind of look back at him kind of flippantly like, Mr. Stahl, how could you give me an F? And he would look up at them, and he, he would say, I didn't give you an F. You earned your F. Same thing happens with heaven and hell. You earn your hell. God does not send you there. You earn it by not accepting Christ into your life. In fact, let me just say it like this, kind of summarize. Here's what God will do at the end of our existence. He simply gives us eternity in greater measure of what we desired here on this planet. He gives us an eternity, a greater measure of the things that we desired here. If, if we bowed the knee to Christ, if we sought after him, then God welcomes us in and gives us a greater experience of him and who he is. But if we kind of did the pushback and said, ah, I'm not into that God stuff, meaning you're more into yourself than into God. Yeah, I'm not very spiritual. I'm not into any of that God stuff. Then God gives you eternal separation from him and eternal isolation from him. But we are the ones who make that choice, not God. He gives that choice to us. And today we can't say we didn't know about that. Maybe walking in here, you could say you didn't know, but now you can't because we've talked about it. That is what's going to happen when we die. Those things are going to take place. In fact, let me read the verse at the very end, Ephesians chapter 1, 13 through 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ. Now, these are for those of you who, who know that you're included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having believed, you are marked in him with a, what's the word there? That seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and that seals upon you. You know that. If you don't, you're probably questioning right now. And I would also add, um, the more we hear this message and the more we don't decide, the more calloused we can become. And the next time you hear it, you might not be open to it. I know there are dozens and dozens, hundreds of you in here who have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Praise God. If you have, can I just ask you, be praying for those who haven't, not only right here in this uh, sanctuary, but also your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, others that you know who need to know that. Be praying for them. We're entering a real spiritual time for a lot of people, heading up to Easter time. May God give you eyes to see the world around you as he sees them. And, and, and step out and invite. Step out and share. Step out and share a good word of God with them. But some of you are in here right now who you're not quite sure. Your heart is beating a little bigger right now because you're not quite sure. Here's what we want to do. We want to take some time to pray. And um, the people who have accepted Christ into their life don't have reason to fear. You do not have to fear where you are headed. And if you do have some fear, then what I would say is let's make sure right now that you know where you're headed after this life is over. So let's pause for a moment. Let's all go before our awesome, holy God, and let's pray. God, we uh, come before you in a state of um, openness, openness, 
of hearing your voice. God, I know there's a, so many people in this congregation who know where they're spending eternity. They know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because they have the Holy Spirit in them. They're not perfect, but God, their life is characterized by what the Holy Spirit does in living inside of them. And they know. In fact, folks, can I ask you this, if, if you would be so bold. If you know for sure where you're spending eternity, that you know that heaven awaits you because you have prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand just so I can see the assurance across this room? Hey, praise God. Praise God. We're going to spend eternity together. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Let me be so bold, though, to ask that I know there are some of you in here as well who have not yet made that decision. You, you're, you're not sure. In fact, if you died tonight, you don't know where you would spend eternity. If you would be uh, so open to saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? Yeah, I'm one of those people. In fact, would you just lift up your hand right now? Just lift up your hand right now. Okay, I see it. Yep, 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 yep. Up in the balcony, let me take a look. Yep, I see in the back row. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. You guys can put your hands down as well. You know what? I don't want you to breathe another second without the assurance of how you know where, of where you know you're going. If you just lift your hand, or even in your heart, you did not lift your hand, but you're not quite sure. If you would just follow this prayer. It's not about the exact words. It's about an intention of your heart. Pray this prayer to God. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would come into my life. I no longer have to question where my eternity will go. Today, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. Today, I put my trust and my faith in you. Today, I I turn from my way of doing things. I repent and make a U-turn, and today, I follow you. I'm putting my faith, my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And again, God sees the intentions of your heart. And if your prayer was to receive him as Lord and Savior and desire to follow him, Then he heard that prayer right now today, and we rejoice with you. We celebrate that there are more who have just come into the family of God, and you will be in heaven one day with him. But don't wait to celebrate that. You can begin celebrating now. You can begin to see how to live this life as well, because now you know where you're going. God wants to do a supernatural work in you as well to allow you to experience already heaven here on earth by blessings upon blessings upon blessings. It's not always easy. In fact, the first few times may be rough of kind of experiencing this, but folks, you can do it. You have hundreds of people around you who are praying for you. Step out and get involved. In fact, what I would say is if after the service, if you would come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Stephen, anyone up here on this praise team, we'd love the chance to get to celebrate with you. Perhaps you came with a friend today as well. They could help you take your next step. Or out at our Next Step Center, which is in our Welcome Center, um, we have some information for you that will just help you take your next step. Because now you know Jesus. Now we want you to grow and know him each and every day of your life. Lord God, I thank you for an opportunity that we have had to talk about the things that matter in life. Because as soon as this life is over, none of it will matter. The decisions we made will all be cast in. And I thank you that for those who have Christ in their life, that deposit will be an inheritance in heaven. Yeah, we we capture just a little bit of that even now. As we sing, as we praise, as we sent your spirit here. Hear us now as we sing.
Hear us now as we worship you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.